From WNET in New York, hi, I'm Tom Stewart, and welcome to a special edition of WNET Up Next. Asian Americans is a five-hour PBS series featuring a new perspective on the ongoing role of Asian Americans in shaping the nation's history. The series is now available for streaming on PBS Passport. Actor George Takei, perhaps best known for his role as Hikaru Sulu, helmsman of the USS Enterprise in Star Trek, is also an activist and is the author of They Called Us Enemy, a graphic novel about his childhood years in two Japanese-American internment camps during World War II. On the occasion of a recent rebroadcast of the series, he met with Tamlin Tamita for this conversation. I want to welcome a star of stage, screen, and television, and the Twitterverse, political activist and author, the many talented George Takei. George, you and your family were interned in one of America's internment camps, Tule Lake, during World War II. Actually, two. Uh, ah. Rower and Tule Lake. Two different camps in my life from the time I was five to uh, eight years old. I had just turned five years old when the soldiers came to get us. At our, so I was a child. I have a child's memory. A Southern Californian kid uh, plunked down into the swamps of Arkansas. And then... Uh, a year into the, uh, the internment, the uh, loyalty questionnaire comes down, and my parents answered the two critical questions truthfully. Mm -hmm. And because of the truthful, principled answers my parents gave, they were categorized as disloyal, and we had to be transferred from the Arkansas camp to the most notorious and the cruelest of all the camps, Tule Lake. Uh, which was called the segregation camp for disloyals. There were 10 internment camps. All of them were between uh, 6,000 to 11,000 people at the most. Tule Lake was 18,000 people, the biggest, the most populous of all. And it had not just one barbed wire fence, but two more layers, three layers of barbed wire fences and a half a dozen tanks patrolling the perimeter to goad and to intimidate people that, who already were angry to begin with. And so it was an outrageous situation. And all 10 camps uh, were in turmoil. And the biggest one, the segregation camp, became the most controversial, the most chaotic, most turbulent, and the uh, most troublesome for the United States government. Mm -hmm. But as a five-year-old kid to eight years old when we were finally freed, my memories of the Arkansas camp is actually a fascinating adventure of yeah. discovery for this Southern Californian kid. We were in the swamps. The bayou was part of the camp. Mm -hmm. And the edges of the bayou had little wiggly black fish swimming around, tadpoles. And I'd catch them and put them in a jar. And every morning I got up and looked at them and they kept changing. Mm. They got bumps on the side and the bumps grew larger. And the, then they uh, turned into something like legs. And they also got uh, four, four legs too. And then they escaped from my jar. Fish that can turn into frogs and escape. Amazing. I was a little bit older when we were transferred to uh, 
Tule Lake, I still didn't understand the big picture, but I understood that the community was fractured. It was the most chaotic, most fractured, most turbulent of all the camps, and it became the most symbolic of the cruelty and the irrationality and the oppressiveness of this government uh, of all of the 10 uh, internment camps. I was a young kid, Mm -hmm. and I remember that some of the riots and the uh, young men being dragged out of the barrack late at night, and their wives or their mothers pleading to not take them away. And so I knew that this was a whole different situation. It was when I became a teenager and became very curious about my childhood uh, incarceration that I had many after-dinner conversations with my father. And many parents of my generation, Nisei's, didn't talk about the incarceration with their children. And many know very little. Some people might say, my parents were uh, in the camp or my grandparents were in camp. And when I asked them, oh, uh, which camp were they in? Their faces are blank. Mm. They know nothing about it. Many Japanese Americans, younger Japanese Americans, have no idea of their own family history. And that's why television shows and books and dramas uh, that, that we did on stage, Allegiance, is so important certainly for all Americans, but particularly for younger Japanese Americans who don't know their own history. In moving forward in your life, in your very storied life, what value do you see, George Takei, in keeping history, even painful history, alive and in view? We Americans need to know our history because there are important lessons to be learned from history. And if we don't know our history, we repeat them in different forms, you know, different, uh, different actors. Mm-hmm. The history of America is filled with racial outrages mm-hmm. from the very beginning. I mean, we know about the uh, 17th century arrival of uh, Africans brought here as chattel mm-hmm. and the various stages of the African-American experience, uh, slavery, Jim Crow, the campaign for equality, the civil rights movement, and still we have the Black Lives Matter issue going on today. And throughout history, the essence of the Black Lives Matter issue was the the, uh, basis for the struggle throughout. And for Asian Americans, too, it's been the same. From the very first, when immigrants from Asia started to come to the United States, the minute they stepped on U.S. soil, they were considered aliens and they were denied uh, naturalized citizenship. The only group that was denied naturalized citizenship. Immigrants coming from all over the world could someday hope to become an American citizen, except immigrants from Asia. Mm. And that's why my father, as much as he loved America and he knew the uh, ideals of American democracy, It was shining ideals, and yet he couldn't become an American, Mm. despite his passion for this country's ideals. In 1871, here in my hometown of Los Angeles, we have the Central Plaza, 
at that time, actually it was a pueblo of Los Angeles, was a small pueblo. And then nearby was Chinatown. And a white woman made a claim that a Chinese man had assaulted her. And immediately a vigilante group was formed. They went into Chinatown, dragged out 19 Chinese men. One was a boy. And they strung him up on a tree in the central plaza. 18 Chinese men and one boy were strung up, lynched on the town square. And uh, the wholesale incarceration of innocent Japanese Americans incarcerated with no charges, no trial, due process completely disappeared and we were incarcerated. So, you know, this uh, history of racism to any minority group, we need to know this history in order to make forward progress. That's right. That's right. Because who we were determines who we are. And if we forget about our history, if we forget about our past, how do we build our future together? Now, George, you wrote an autobiography, then starred in a musical, Allegiance, to tell your story on stage. And you have a best-selling graphic novel called They Called Us Enemy. Why did you choose that format? Since my 20s, I have been talking about the importance of this chapter of American history because it's an important a chapter that all Americans should know about. And I've been on speaking tours through uh, to all the uh, universities in this country and, and corporate uh, conferences. I've even gone to Britain. I spoke at Cambridge and Oxford on the internment of Japanese Americans. And so I've been uh, talking about this, but I still come across people that I consider well-informed, educated people, when I share my childhood imprisonment with them, they are shocked. In this day and age, they can't believe something like that happened in the United States. And I'd written my autobiography. I'd made speeches all over the country, uh, a Broadway musical to humanize the story. And still, it's not getting known to people. And so I decided, you know, when I was a kid, a teenager, I was a comic book fan. I voraciously read uh, comic books. And when you're that age, a preteen, you're eager to learn and you're absorbing in information through your pores. And so I thought maybe the uh, comic strip approach, a graphic uh, memoir, Mm -hmm. would be a way to do it. And so I... uh, put together, they called us enemy with friends who are experts at the comic book genre so that I can get the story known to young people as they're absorbing in the information, grow up knowing it and having that as a part of their understanding of American history, just as they know that we have a slave history. We as a nation have to know both the great ideals and the shining things that we've accomplished, Mm -hmm. as well as our human fallibility and the the mistakes that we've made so that we prevent that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's why I chose the uh, genre of graphic memoir. So it sounds like you found that the comic book or the manga format was effective in reaching a wider audience than the straightforward history telling of your story, yes? 
Well, the straightforward history is important too. You yes. need dates and events and bills and so forth. And, and so I, I did that. And in fact, the Bible of the Japanese American internment experience is Years of Infamy by Michi Weglin. Right. That's the, the great source. That gives dates, places, and uh, the background behind it, the politics that went behind it. And those are the granular in the weeds uh, detail. But I think this chapter of American history is something that Americans generally need to know as part of American history. And that's why, you know, we've told that story in so many other forms, and particularly a Broadway musical, because it humanizes that story. And it's a much more attractive way and a moving way. Now, George, how much, may I ask, how much anti-Japanese discrimination did you face growing up after the war? I went to school and the teacher kept calling me the Jap boy, the little Jap boy, which stung. I was eight or maybe maybe nine by that time. It stung. Mm -hmm. But I didn't tell my parents about it when I got home because by this time I was old enough to understand that the internment was a painful experience for them and I didn't want to hurt their feelings again. So I didn't uh, tell them. I just swallowed my pain. Mm. I hated that teacher. And I I kept thinking, why did she hate me so much? You know, she'd ask a question and like the other kids, I put up my hand and she looked the other way and picked somebody else. She never called on me. And Mm. so I never, I stopped uh, raising my hand. Mm. But I thought maybe she had a husband in the Pacific Theater or maybe a son. And they fought people that looked like me. Mm. But still... I was her student. I was a kid. I had nothing to do with whatever happened to her husband or or son. But we still have people with that kind of small mind that inflicted on a kid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was an eight-year-old kid by then. After the war, we were penniless. We were impoverished. The government took everything from us. Our first home was on... Skid Row in downtown Los Angeles. And to us kids, the worst part of the internment was being let out. It was horrific. I still remember, first of all, the stench of Skid Row, Mm. the stench of human excrement everywhere, Mm. on the sidewalk, in the hallways, alleyways, wherever you went. It was an unbearable smell and the, and the place teeming with ugly, smelly, scary people staggering about or leaning on the wall or sprawled on the sidewalk. And uh, sometimes there were uh, uh, fights between uh, two derelict women yelling at each other, pulling their heads and falling down on the, uh, on the uh, street or uh, a derelict that, that started approaching us. We were walking down the sidewalk and he was staggering toward us, glowering at us. And so we froze and we we thought he was going to attack us. But when he got close to us, he collapsed and barfed right in front of us. I mean, it was horrific. And my baby sister, who was by this time uh, four or five, said, mama, let's go back home. Mm. Meaning 
behind barbed wire fence because there at least we had the order and regimentation of camp. The days were more or less predictable. On Skid Row, it was chaos and the constant shrieking of the ambulances, the police cars, and uh, at night, our, our, our Skid Row room would glow red with light from the police cars. It was a horrific place. My father's first job was washing dishes in a Chinatown restaurant. Only other Asians would offer us jobs. But because my father was uh, a block manager, in both uh, the Arkansas camp and at Two Lake. Uh, Despite the fact that we were now out of camp, people Mm -hmm. still came to my father for assistance Mm -hmm. and uh, guidance, uh, advice on uh, finding a job. Mm -hmm. And my father was was so public spirited. He um, did the dishwashing in the morning and late at night, but he opened the employment shop in Little Tokyo to Mm -hmm. uh, uh, help people find jobs. Jobs that he found for them were uh, menial jobs, Mm -hmm. dishwasher like my father or janitor or gardener, which paid a pittance and his fee would be a tiny fraction of a pittance. So uh, jobs were very difficult. My question now to you is, how did you remain yourself in your young years as a young man, as a young actor? How did you remain yourself? Well, to learn more about my childhood imprisonment, I had many after-dinner conversations with my father, Mm -hmm. and my father talked about it. By that time, you know, I'd read books, and I'd read civics books, couldn't find anything about the uh, internment uh, in uh, history books or civics books. This was the 1950s. Mm -hmm. Uh, The only source was my father. Years of infamy didn't exist yet. And uh, he shared with me both his pain and anguish, and particularly when this was in Arkansas when we first got there, he saw the barbed wire fences and he saw us, his kids. And he said, it broke his heart. He had so so much hope for his children. And what's going to happen to us starting life like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It it just tore him apart. He felt so useless, he said, and so impotent. And and that pain, my father, you know, shared with me just once, but I, I, he really felt it and, and tears appeared in his eyes. I remember that. And there are, there are other conversations that we had where I regret it still to this day, um, I'd read in the civics books about the the, uh, ideals of American democracy. And I said, Daddy, it was wrong. It was wrong. You led us like sheep to slaughter by taking taking us into the uh, uh, the camps. Mm -hmm. And suddenly the conversation stopped. He was silent. And immediately I sensed that I touched a nerve. And I felt terrible. And then he looked up and said to me, well, maybe you're right. And he got up and went into his bedroom and closed the door. I was devastated. This man who suffered so much 
I, I was beginning to understand that now. This man that I love so much, and I, I had heard him again 10 years after our incarceration. And I felt like going to his door and knocking on it and apologizing, but it felt awkward. And I thought, well, I'll apologize tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning came and it was even more awkward. And I never apologized. And now I can't. And I'm still haunted by it. And he was a block manager. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said there were people that were uh, depressed or embittered and, and all into their suffering. And he said, we're all together in this camp now. We have to face it and we have to survive it. And you don't survive by wallowing in your misery. Mm-hmm. All right, it's horrible, but we have to make our own happiness. Mm-hmm. We've got to find beauty in harsh circumstances. I feel so blessed to have had the, the father I had who was willing to take some of the guff that I gave him and educate me because I learned a great deal from that special man I, I was blessed to have as a father. What do you see lies ahead for Asian Americans? More uh, intermarriage is happening. I think older ethnic groups from Asia that have been here for generations are now starting to uh, intermarry. And we are becoming part of uh, a new ethnic group, multicultural, multiracial, Afro-Asian, Eurasian, Latino-Asian. You know, we're becoming Americans, the real America. We have America in ourselves now. Absolutely. It lives within our hearts. Thank you so very much, George Takei, for being a hero for all of America, as well as the world and the universe. (laughs) Thank you, George. Hi. Arigato. Sayonara. Goodbye. Doitashimashite. Domo. You've been listening to a special edition of WNET Up Next. Actress Tamlin Tamita in conversation with actor and activist George Takei. The PBS series Asian Americans is now available for streaming on PBS Passport. And join us again soon for our next edition of WNET Up Next. And share your thoughts with us at upnext at WNET.org. Many thanks to our audio engineer, John Berman, our editor, producer, Terrence Taylor, and to our executive producer, Dana McBride. WNET Up Next is a presentation of the Design, On-Air Promotion, and Fundraising Department of WNET New York. I'm Tom Stewart.